Hello, everybody. Whoa, Wednesday. Mad about, mad about you day. How about, how about you day? Skiddly bop, beatin' dootin' do day. You read my mind. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was gonna start scatting. Well, what were you gonna do? Squap, squeep, beepity bop, boopy, da. <laughs> You're very good at that. Because <laughs> it's uh, appropriate for the episode. That's true. We're going to get that's there. That's why you did it, right? No, that just happened. Scatting's in me, John. It is. Mm-hmm. Are you being serious or not? I know it's in you. Is that really? <laughs> but that is why you did it, right? I'm telling you. It is not why I did it. Really? I just kind of did it. But yes, there is scatting in this episode. That was the zeitgeist. Yeah, that's what this. We that's what zeitgeist, zeitgeist means. <laughs> <laughs> you know... John, you are not wrong. This is a big episode for Mad About Mad About You. We're going to get to it. First, let's say... First, we're going to say welcome to Mad About Mad About You. It's your weekly Mad About You recap podcast. And my name is Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. So hello and welcome back, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. That is, if you're returning Rise Guys and Rise Gals, if this is your first time, we're very happy to have you. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. They could just drop in. Yeah. You never know. Anyone, feel free. Drop feel in. F- yeah. yeah. We, love the, right. we love the pop-in. <laughs> we do love the pop-in. We have to have, oh, we have, to have a pop-in. We hate yeah. to pop out. We do. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. Rise, guys, and rise, gals. We don't even know how this episode is going to go yet, but I'm telling you to tell one friend to listen to this episode. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So, this could be a boon. Or this could be a disaster. But yeah. everybody has to tell one person your to listen to this Your friend could end one. up liking you more or yeah. hating your guts. Or could end a long-lasting friendship. Yeah. This could be what you say, this is a part of who I am. This shows what I enjoy. And I'm sharing it with you. And then it's just going to be hot garbage. Yeah. And then what are people going to think of Let's you? all play podcast Russian roulette, huh? <laughs> Fabulous. John, how are you doing? How was your week? How was your weekend? I went to the golf and stuff, family amusements park. Cool. In Norwalk, California. Nice. Which many of you might remember once I remind you. <laughs> yeah, that, once you tell us what it is, it it'll is all the come back. location where uh, Ralph Macchio goes on <gasps> his date in the Karate Kid. John! Yeah. That is my early one of my earliest memories is watching that movie and being like, I want to go there. That might actually be the first date I ever saw. Yeah. Now that it I might think about be. it, yeah. Oh man, and Elizabeth Shoe was so cute. How was and Elizabeth they had so Shoe? Much fun. Yeah. From that to Hollow Man? <laughs> A direct line. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Wait, is she in Leaving Las Vegas too? Yeah, she is. Ay, ay, ay. Yep. Those dates went downhill. <laughs> Well, you know, you have one too many adventures in babysitting and things get rocky. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But right? she, was not in, she was not in Rocky. Uh, to clear, <laughs> to clear things get up. Rocky six. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? How was that place? Well, it's uh, it was a, you know, <laughs> it was busy. It was busy. It was a lot of Great. families. Okay. Well, there were some teenagers, I guess. Yeah, I guess it would be a good date spot for the age that they were at. Okay. Yeah, I could see I could see 16-year-olds going on a date there. I think we might have seen some. We played uh, putt-putt. 
This place has four putt-putt courses. That's a lot of putt-putt. And the holes are epic. Epic putt-putt holes. Epic holes. One hole has a treehouse that the treehouse was used to set both Guinness Book of World Records for treehouse sitting. The first in (laughs) 1978 or something for 180-something consecutive days. And then this actor named uh, Thomas Roy, I think, okay, broke that record in 1983 or 82 or something by sitting up there for 400 days. And like, now it's in a putt-putt. No, it was always there. It was always there. He oh did my it gosh. at the putt-putt place. <laughs> I'm kind of mad because that seems, there. that seems like some sort of treehouse cheating. We're just like, yeah, I could sit for 400 days in a putt-putt treehouse. He lived up there the whole time. Yeah, sure. And you get to watch. Putt putt all day. You get to watch. Oh, that is true. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Plus, there's like, they're not going to, if they're doing, if he's doing it on premises, they're not going to let him starve up there. They're not going to make him forage for his food. Yeah. They've got a kitchen right on premises. And, yeah. Pork dogs and pizza. Yeah. He probably gained 40 pounds living in a tree for a year. We had a garbage pizza there. Great. Disgusting. Mm hmm. Oh. Won a lot of and tickets he, and then gave them to a little kid. That's sweet of you. Ton of tickets. Any Cobra Kai? No Cobra. Well, there were two. I beat their ass <laughs> <laughs> with a baseball bat. <laughs> they didn't sweep the leg, Johnny. No, I swept okay. the. I swept the everything. <laughs> I swept <laughs> everything right into the bin. Oh my gosh, that sounds so great. We bet a lot of money. Not a lot of money, but we were betting. <laughs> I hurt my arm playing air- five games of air hockey, <laughs> trying to win back twenty dollars. <laughs> I hurt my arm playing air hockey. John, that's the best. How about you? I'm fine. <laughs> I had my, my first improv show with my new team, Public Pool. Oh, cool. Did you get wet? I did. A little bit. They are a very dancey group. Oh. They have like two people on the team who are very good dancers and who like to dance. And another dude who also who's like... There are two trained dancers and one dude who's chorus line than ragtime for sure. (laughs) And I'm a ragtime kind of guy. Well, you can play the director or at least I. Yeah, I'll sit in the I'll sit in the crowd yelling, (laughs) yelling five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But man, it's a blast. But it was just like you get that. And it was a mono scene. So like basically there are lots of different kinds of improv shows, everybody. And sometimes, you know, two people are on stage at a time or three people. And lots of times when you do a mono scene, it winds up with everybody, all seven of you on stage the whole time, which also means that for all of your dance numbers, all seven of you are doing all of your songs. Wow. So it was 25 minutes of high energy stuff. That's great. You must have been sweating like a pig. Oh, I do that normally. I sweat like a pig on my walk to the theater. Right. So by the time this show was over... I was just, it was intense and super duper fun. I like these guys. It's a good time all around. Great. No complaints. Nobody was, no no bad teenagers were dressed like skeletons. There were no instances involving any neighbors who were old World War II veterans who also have taken a solemn vow to no longer hurt anybody via karate. Did fear exist in the set at all? <laughs> Say again? Does fear exist? In the set at all? Are you? I'm trying to remember. Too deep cuts. I'm like, is that a that? I'm thinking of Terminator Two, with no fear. No, that I would have been like. That's no hate. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, 
when they introduced Cobra Kai. Fear does not exist in this dojo. Oh my god, I forgot that part. Yeah, that doesn't I'll matter. I'll tell you. I know. Deep. I sh- I should have yes ended. I should have said yes, and that's from the movie. That's true. But then you would have told a lie. <laughs> that's true. Oh my goodness. So we watched Mad About You also this week. This is episode thirty-three of Mad About Mad About You. Woo. We are talking about season two, episode eleven of Mad About You. What is it titled, John? Edna. You ready? Re- 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 let's let's say the title at the same time. Ready? Three, two, one. Deconstructive criticism. Oh, Russ, guys, Russ has some agenda, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I said deconstructive criticism because when I looked things up on TV Tango, it said deconstructive criticism, and I was like, uh oh, what's going on here? What is the episode here? The episode is currently called Edna Returns, and I found one site from Czechoslovakia that said Edna Returns, a.k.a. Deconstructive Criticism. So somewhere along the line, they changed the name of this episode. Wait, what is this site from Czechoslovakia? I don't know, but it's got a .cz at the end. And the, I is, is it just Mad I, About You, or is it? I don't know for sure, but I searched Mad About You, Deconstructive Criticism. And the top like four sites just had, you know, I was trying to determine, I wanted to make sure that Deconstructive Criticism wasn't another episode from another season. Yeah, totally. The only place where I found an overlap that said AKA was from a Czechoslovakian site, or I guess just a Czech site, rather. The Caltech Mad About You episode guide also calls it Only Edna Returns. So uh, I guess they're not as smart over there as we thought. Yeah, we scooped them, <laughs> you you big nerds. Yeah, get your head out of the rock. <laughs> Maybe you've been huffing too much rocket fuel over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so that's fun. So Edna Return. Uh, you know what? I'm still going to call it deconstructive criticism because I'm a purist. So deconstructive criticism. That sounds so pro- much smarter than it means. It does. I th- maybe that's why they change it. And also because the whole Edna thing is the most important part. Right. I don't know. But so this episode premiered on December 9th, 1993. Yeah. Which begs the question, will there be one more episode before the year ends? Oh, that is a good question. Who knows? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, will yeah, there be the a rerun way... next week? We'll Might have to be. find out. We'll do that together. We'll all find out together. Yeah. Next week. What in the world was in TV Guide, John? A case study of Lisa's problems in her shrink's book points the finger at an overbearing sister. Okay. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we could get the name Jamie in there somewhere. What do you think of this? Lisa's shrink writes a book that paints Jamie in a bad light. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't know. This is very long and a little clunky. Yeah. At least there's no twist, though. So I I respect that. Props, props. For that, there's but... no, there's no twist. There's no shoddy use of punctuation. Yeah. While I was looking at the episode, I thought of a great TV guide description, not related okay. to this episode, just in general. Just in general. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> what did you think of? Paul and Lisa go to. Paul takes Lisa to the dentist. Yeah. Like that's okay. how short they should be in general. Yes. Because if you know the show already, they sort of run on the assumption that you kind of know the show. That's how the TV guide description should be. You know what I mean? Yes. So if you know the show and you read that little line, you're like, oh, okay, I can imagine. Okay, a I like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. That's all it should be. So that was what, like nine words max? Paul takes Lisa to six words. Six, six words. Let's say ten max, though. Come on. Ten max. Okay, yeah. yeah we'll get a little Don't be a room. jerk. Don't be a jerk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like so, that. So, yeah, there's been better, but it ain't the end of the world. We'll move on from here. 
This is the three-hour movie version of something that could be, you know, two two fifteen. <laughs> Tighten it up, guys. Come on, Lawrence of Arabia over here. <laughs> the Lawrence of Arabia of, of TV guide descriptions. <laughs> you know why? I need, We're gonna I call. Need... <laughs> we'll call this. A, we'll call this a Lawrence. I need okay. an extra wide screen to fit it on one line. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, oh my! What are the you. margins? What are the margins on yeah, this? Seventy thing? millimeters. Jeez! <laughs> big sweeping landscape shots of words like overbearing. <laughs> All right. Oh no! All right. Hey, there were other things on TV too. What was on TV? You're watching NBC. Well, this snuck in. I don't know how I hadn't heard of it before, but I've heard of it now. NBC, 8.30 p.m., get ready to watch The Mommies. (laughs) I'm conflicted about this, John. (laughs) Why? Because I meant to pull it up. Entertainment Weekly gave it an F, and the review they wrote for it was scathing. And it was written by a man. And I was just like, oh. I read it. And I was just like, you know what? This isn't for you. This, you know, or maybe if it, you know, expand your mind and your horizons a little bit. And let's get some other voices. Fine. Because this is a, a, a show. It co-starred Peter Scolari and Jerry Burns. And uh, it was created and starring Marilyn Kentz and Carol Christensen, who were neighbors in Petaluma, California real-life neighbors, and their family and friends convinced them to start a comedy act together. And they did, and they did comedy, and then somebody from NBC saw them, said, put together a pilot, and then the pilot and the show got on. Wait, is this real life? or This, this is real life. This, that's not the plot of the show. That's what happened in reality. Gotcha. And so I want Peter that... Peter Scolari's in two episodes. Okay, great. He appeared on Wikipedia. There were 37 episodes shot. Yeah, it lasted a season and a half. Yeah, it didn't start Peter Scolari. He's barely in it. He co-starred. Sorry. Co-starred? Barely. Uh, barely appeared. He's in two. Look, I think... <laughs> I'm just saying. I think uh, I co-star... I excited. I think co-star of the shows, co-stars of this show, Brett Oresco and Gary Berard, may have something to say about... They're not co-stars. They're guest stars. <laughs> I'm bumping them up. I'm bumping them up a little bit. No, that's a bump down. You think so? Well, uh, the terminology's changed, and I guess it's different between TV and film. But regardless, just so everyone knows, you got to scroll a while before you find uh, Scolari. (laughs) It's true. So Uh, whoever got their hopes up like I did. uh, I needed to just mention somebody who anybody's heard of because this show has nobody on it. I haven't heard of any of these people at the top. And... I sent you, uh, so yeah, they um they started an act, it got turned into a show that lasted a season and a half, and I'm not sure what we're going to do with this later, John. We may have to cut this whole little segment out. Why? But, well, no, like, what's about to happen? Okay. <laughs> okay. The theme song to this show, uh-huh. the sequence is unbelievable. <laughs> okay. And I sent it to you in an email. Yeah. And I don't know how well it will transfer to audio because it's a whole experience. So we may just have to post the link on. We may just have to post the link and you can watch it yourselves. And that'll be what we do. But, John, watch that now and let me know what you think of it. That was on before Mad About You? 
1993. It's so stupid looking. It looks like the kids from Bayside High and Saved by the Bell had to make a theme. Yeah. Had to make an opening right. credit sequence, and they got an F on it. Wow, that's a... Ouch. Ouch. But that is exactly what it looks like. It's so... It's all so cheesy and poorly done. It, I, I thought... And I thought for a second, I was just like, I was like, is this the pilot? Is this the pilot theme sequence? The pilot opening? And then they like, they got better and they got more money and they got a real one made and put out. But right. I, that, that's the only one I was able to find. And it is something else. I can't believe how long it was on the air. Yeah. And I've never heard of it. Are there episodes online? The pilot. I watched the beginning of the pilot. It's not a very good show. I wanted it to be. Oh. I wanted to like it. One of the leads was on Rachel Ray in 2009. Yeah. Well, here's here is some interesting stuff. I'm going to blow through some stuff about them and about our show because this gets fun. So oh, here we go. Oh, is this what you were alluding to in the beginning? This is one part that I was alluding to. Okay. There's wow. more later. Yeah. So 1996, Carol and Marilyn Real Friends was on ABC for one year, a talk show starring the two leads. And it was on for one year and then it was replaced by The View. So <laughs> what? That's... Yeah, isn't that kind of neat? Occupying the view time slot before the view was on were the mommies. Yeah. And then they also, we went searching, Jen and I went searching, and on YouTube, these two, Marilyn and Carol, also did a Palmolive dish soap commercial. We found this through Entertainment Tonight. When you Google it, an Entertainment Tonight clip comes up, and they're like, the mommies are doing a commercial. They were America's mommies. Basically, yeah. They went behind the scene with the mommies to the set of this Palmolive commercial. This is the high school that we shot our uh, our TV show intro in. Yeah, basically. (laughs) This is this is my son's equipment that we use to shoot it. Well, (laughs) well, in the commercial, they make references to Madge. Do you remember the old Palmolive commercials with the character Madge? No. Okay, this was old, old, old. This was back in the 60s, I think. 60s, 70s. Do I remember the Palm Olive commercials from 20 years before I was born? Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm asking you. How do you? Well, because you know of Time to Make the Donuts, and you know of Where's the Beef, and Madge was a famous ad person. But weren't those on the TV when we were kids anyway? Uh, Where's the Beef wasn't. Oh. Time to Make the Donuts still was. But yeah, Madge and, you know, Softens Hands While You Do Dishes was a thing. Yeah, sure. But regardless... Also, John, you know a lot of stuff from before you were born, uh. so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm pretty smart. So what are you saying? <laughs> so anyway, so so they were like, on Entertainment Weekly, they decided to show Madge this Palmolive commercial that mentions her and references her. So they hunt down the woman, the actress who played Madge, and her name is Jan Minor. And at the time of filming, Jan Minor was doing a production of the Gin Game. The Gin Game. Okay. Which was the Gin Game, which was in the ad for the I Heart New York or the I Love New York Broadway commercials. Wow. That we talked about a few episodes yes. ago when Paul was shooting one. Was that the play with the two older people? Yes. At with the table? Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy. Yes. Yeah. That was that play. Wait, who was in that? Hume Cronin and Jessica no, no, Tandy. No, no, no. In this little story you're telling? Jane something? 
Jan Miner. Who was the original... The original soap. Madge from the Palmolive commercials. And that's connected to these women because these women did a, a Palmolive commercial 20 years later? That referenced her. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. And Look, you're <laughs> responding as though this is something stupid and tenuous, okay? No, no, no. I know. <laughs> this is where we live. Okay, cool. <laughs> Wait, was she doing it the gin game on Broadway? No. No, regional production. <laughs> Oh, listen, the more tenuous, the better in my book. Uh, (laughs) Well, then strap in because it's keep on coming, I think. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. Did everyone get that? That's amazing. So that's the (laughs) so that's the mommies. Amazing. Well, uh. I can't believe we missed it. I, I can't either. I miss it every day. <laughs> what was going on in the news, John? From WNBC-TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. Dateline. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Playing in the neighborhood. Soho Command Performance from Coney Island. The Coney Island Circus Sideshow is wintering at here. You know, Ooh. You know here, right? Here Arts Space? Yes, okay, yeah. Which I feel like we also covered the opening of like a year ago on the podcast. We may have. Here Cultural Arts Center? Maybe that's what it's called now. I don't remember. Okay. Recently opened multi-stage performance space at Soho. The performers include albino pythons from beneath the Berlin Wall, starring Christine Hell, a German snake charmer. The neon sword swallower. He illuminates his ribcage with two feet of neon tubing. I was going to ask if the swords were neon or if he was neon, and then turns out, yeah, it's him. Interesting. (laughs) And the illustrated man. I assume that just means he's got a lot of tattoos. I assume it's the Bradbury book, and he just sits and reads it. (laughs) The Andy Kaufman knockoff? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Not to mention Jennifer Miller, the bearded lady who also juggles machetes. I've seen her. Unless there are multiple bearded women who juggle machetes in Manhattan. You know, you'll have to Google that one. I am. Yes, I've seen her perform. (laughs) I've seen Jennifer Miller. Great, great, great. That's cool. She's very funny. She did a bit where she acted drunk while she was uh, juggling. That does sound funny. It was very scary. Sure, yes. And it took a very long time to realize she was probably kidding, but I don't know for sure. (laughs) You know, you can never really tell with Coney Island people. Yeah. Have you seen the sideshow? I have not. There's a dude... I work some nights at the PlayStation Theater, and I have for a decade or so yeah. in the box office. And when the place first opened, a lot of times there would be a lizard man whose entire oh. face was tattooed. And oh, yes. He, you, you know this dude? I think so. Keep going. Yeah. He has forked his tongue. He has filed his teeth to points. He has put in subdermal screws and horns into his head. I don't know and, if I've seen him in person or read an article about him. But yeah, like I've seen, I've saw him in person a bunch. And then I, he you worked know, I, with you. No, I think he just can't like, oh, we saw a lot of shows, shows or worked, show, or oh, worked some shows. Oh, okay. Like he would be backstage. So I get, oh, I take gotcha. it that he knows a lot of people in the, uh, in the industry. But yeah, part of me was just like, what kind of a job are you going to be able to get looking like that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were his father. <laughs> get a hair. Well, no, not a haircut. No. Get those screws but, out of your head. <laughs> but yeah, like, and then I saw him in a paper and it, he was like, 
yeah, he does a lot of time working at Coney Island. And it's like, oh, of course he does. That's the kind of job. Yeah, yeah. This, guy, this guy may have thought through the fact that he may not be able to work in a bank. And instead, yeah, yeah. He's a personality. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you never know with Coney Island folk. <laughs> you got to check it out. I can't believe you haven't been. Yeah. You live right by there for like the last 10 years. I do. I've seen it like four times already. Is it always the best? No. No. <laughs> some no, are, not some are better than others. You can't win them sure. all. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been to Homecoming when all the when all the freaks came back. They call themselves freaks. Sure. <laughs> it's they an call- industry term. I'm not just. <laughs> <laughs> I've se- And then I've seen the normal act a couple times. And then I feel like I must have seen this lady there, but I, I don't recall. I feel like I started somewhere else. I don't know. Anyway, that's all. Next. Great. Oh, this one's uh, a day. Okay, I got. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm going to fly through a couple because I got a doozy at the end here. Dateline. Okay. Doot, Go ahead. For import band seen as threat in New York. Oh, Russ looks shocked. Beginning in 1995, any country that exports fur from beavers and 12 other species to Europe must either ban leg hold traps or adopt international humane trapping standards, which are being written with the participation of New York officials. Hey, John, hmm? could you spell the word banned as it's spelled in the headline? B-A-N. Oh, yeah. I heard fur import banned, like a, a oh, rock like band. Like a genre of music called yes, fur? Yes, which made my mouth drop open. And now I'm a lot less interested. What else you got? No. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. I <laughs> uh, can't win them all. <laughs> Dateline. Go ahead. Three accused of running mafia betting ring. Two men yeah! and a woman <laughs> described by pers- prosecutors as the mafia's, quote, super bookies on the East Coast were indicted yesterday in Brooklyn on charges of taking in at least $86 million a year in illegal wagers on professional or college sports. Next week on Super Bookies. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, Mikey, you got to stop leaving pizza boxes all over the apartments. <laughs> I'm not your mother. <laughs> oh, I, if, I, I'm sorry, Mom. I just got this problem. Somebody's going to come and break my legs. <laughs> Look up in the sky. <laughs> what? I turned it into a superhero story. Oh, okay, great. That's why I did that voice. Well, you Super just lost TV. me. Great. I don't watch. I don't watch superhero TV shows <laughs> or movies. Great. Officials in the Brooklyn DA's office said that the business was conducted mainly by telephone for four hours a day. That's a nice schedule. Sure. Four hours from one of two apartments in Bay Ridge and Bensonhurst. That's my neighborhood. Boom. Or not. Uh, you don't know. Please yeah. don't come to my home, everybody. Yeah. Don't go to his home in the large area of Bensonhurst or Bay Ridge. Not as large as you may think. That's uh, true, yeah. <laughs> Investigators who had court authorization to tap one of the three telephone lines in each apartment said that wagers accepted on each tapped line ranged from two hundred dollars to $300,000 a day. Jeez. Unbelievable. Holy moly. It was Mr. Garguilo. Oh, wow. They did. I love... Uh, I wonder if they still do these, but the New York Times very unabashedly will just, if someone's been convicted of a crime. They'll tell you where they live? Everything, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Full name, full age, and full Ah. address. Yeah. (laughs) 2586 Street in Bay Ridge, 402 Maryland Avenue in Fort Wadsworth, Staten Island. And, uh, oh, they were neighbors. 402 Maryland and 454 Maryland. So two of them were from Staten Island. Oh, they must have commuted to work. It's right over the bridge. (laughs) My... My friends who live in Bensonhurst tell me that. 
<laughs> Dateline. Go ahead. Uh, these quick Datelines one. are getting pretty weak. <laughs> I thought you said we were in a rush. We are. About New York. Their end? Squidgy guys say no. Now, we all know about the squidgy men that Giuliani uh, shut down. Right. Right? The guys that used to sort of force a window washing if you pulled up to a red light sure, yeah. in your car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the squeegee guys at the 56th Street exit of the West Side Highway were grumbling defiantly about William J. Bratton of Boston and his prom. Oh, yeah, we got a new police commissioner. Oh, cool. Billy Bratton. Good to know. The last one was Ray Kelly, right? I believe so, yes. Or is Ray or, Kelly the one now? No, he's coming. He's coming. Yeah, he's coming. He's. I don't think he's... I don't think he's the one now. He was the one before the current one. Yes. I'm getting, he's, I'm getting he's the new ones yet. and the old ones from the 90s mixed yes. up. Yeah. We live in a weird time vortex. Yeah. Oh, the last one was the guy from Houston or Dallas or something. And the old, you know, remember I read an article about all the murder? Anyway, sure. <laughs> uh, Billy Bratton has promised to crack down on their kind when he takes over as city's police commissioner. If Mr. Bratton had sounded like Elliot Ness warning he would come to Chicago to get Al Capone, the squeegee guys were responding with sentiments reminiscent of, uh, come and get me, copper. <laughs> Take it easy, time. All right, yeah, chill down. Chill, spot, chill down. Chill down. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the spot is a hotbed of squeegee activity, and the men who hang there are tough squeegee guys. Their hands are chapped from washing windows for drivers, appreciative and scornful. Some have been known to wash first and ask questions later. Sometimes they get hoarse from saying, have a nice day. They are men on the edge, hardened scufflers, and they are plainly unrepentant. They are not the sort to slink away and starve to death just because an incoming police commissioner thinks windshield washing for tips is a challenge to peace, order, and aesthetic standards. True heroes, these people washing our windows. Uh, one of the men, whose name was Just Charlie. First name Just, last name Charlie? Yes. Great. Just Charlie addressed the issue, quote, It's crazy foolishness, he said. We don't rob nobody. We don't break nothing. We just wash car windows. People are getting shot and killed. Little kids are getting shot. Drugs being sold everywhere. So here comes a new commissioner, and what's he say? He's, he says, go after us? That make any kind of sense? Great point. Another quote. Excuse me, said a short, lean man who gave his name as Chu Jones. First name Chu. <laughs> First name Chu, last name Jones. Last name Jones. How's that supposed to work? You think Stone Killer's uptown going to say, check out what the cops are doing to those raggedy squeegee guys. We better get out of town real quick. The others laughed and slapped palms. Mr. Jones added, <laughs> I think, hey, Times reporter, I think that's called giving a high five. A uh, high five? <laughs> yeah. Well, high f- no, you see, the thing is, high five is a branded name. Uh, so <laughs> it's like saying whiteout instead of liquid paper. <laughs> you think anybody's going to believe their car radios are safer if the cops chase us out here? Trey changed the subject. <laughs> T-R-A-Y. Anybody want me to stop doing this? All they got to do is get me a J-O-B. Mm, that makes sense. Right. He said he'd been washing windshields for about two years, earning 25 to 40 bucks a day. Trey pointed to his plastic pail, his bottle of Windex, and the rubber wiper. The police commissioner gives me a job. He can have all this stuff. <laughs> oh, man, I would, love for, I would love for the police commissioner to hire the window washer. Yeah. To be a cop. That would be a and great idea. Or just to hire them to, to do the windows of the police department. That's more reasonable. That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> that is. Aww. I like that plan. What kind of job you guys want? Asked one of the squeegee band, a man whose head was wrapped in a black bandana. Somebody said airline pilot. Just Charlie said he wanted to be a banker. I'm just waiting for my good suit to come back from the cleaners, he said. Aw. Me? I want to be a movie star like Danny Glover, said Trey. I am totally on board with these folks. They have won won me over. Yeah, oh, me too. 
apparently Danny Glover plays a squeegee guy in a movie that had just come out at the time called The Saint of Fort Washington. I was unaware. He plays that old archetype we all know, a squeegee guy with a heart of gold. Heart of gold. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was an archetype, but as soon as you oh. started the sentence, I knew how it ended. Listen to what Trey says. I could have mm-hmm. done it better than him. <laughs> oh, snap. He never washed a windshield in his life, and I've done thousands. And anyway, he already has a million dollars. For a second, it seemed like Trey was being serious. Then he laughed and said, you know what would be really good? They should make another movie now. The Santa Ford Washington Heights meets the police commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a great story about a little group group of uh, people. Yeah, I was going to say people who are gone, but they're not. They just have different, you know, lives now. For sure. Because the squeegee men left, but the men didn't leave, I don't think, you know? I think you're right. Yeah. Now, I got a real juicy hot one. Ooh, what you got? This is the kind of story we live for here at Mad About Mad About You. Well, uh, to that end. (laughs) Dateline. Go ahead. Around the world in about a year or so. Uh Uh-oh. Eat your heart out, Phileas Fogg. Rick Doberton's going to leave you in his dust. Or rather, his diesel exhaust. A quintessential American garage mechanic, Mr. Doberton is putting the finishing touches on preparations for a round-the-world journey that will make the voyage of Jules Verne's eccentric English gentleman seem like more of a Sunday outing. Great. Now, great, great, great. This is where it gets <laughs> incredibly weird. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mr. Fogg, from the book, traveled across four continents using steamers, elephants, etc. Mr. Doberton plans to visit seven seas and seven continents on one machine with the goal of becoming the first person to circumnavigate the globe on the surface in a single vehicle. Okay. The shark-nosed stainless steel machine looks like a glistening space shuttle. But in global travel, as in book jackets, appearances are often deceiving. It is a 1959 Heil milk tanker converted into an amphibious thingamajig. (laughs) We've got, is a quote, we've got it to handle like a boat on the road and a truck on the water, Mr. Doberton said, joking to hide his stubborn pride. (laughs) 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 Many people take one look at his contraption and tell him, quote, he's crazy and gonna die. (laughs) 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 Mr. Doberton admits he recently drew up his will, but remains confident and exudes a Yankee version of the spirit that drove Mr. Fogg. So I was, you know, this is a story about him about to depart, right? So I had to find out how it went. Sure. Well, (laughs) Extra did a story on this guy in 1999, six years later, because his vehicle, the Surface Orbiter, which looks crazy, and we'll tweet a picture (laughs) this week, was up for auction. Okay. Oh, that doesn't bode well. I sent you the piece, so let's start watching from that link. It was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime, a romantic voyage around the globe. Africa, India, Australia, the Caribbean. You only live once, so you might as well experience everything. The exotic trip was this man's dream. Rick Doberton hoped it would put the spark back in his marriage. But Karen, his bride of one year, was certain it was just that, a dream. Initially, you know, you think, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. Sure, honey, you know, whatever. But the 46-year-old master car craftsman wasn't joking, and he already had a plan. Rick and Karen would try to become the first couple to circumnavigate the globe. Not by boat, not by hot air balloon. No, in this. 
Rick called it the orbiter. Once a milk tanker, Rick would spend four years, 14,000 hours, and the couple's life savings, transforming it into a high-tech land and water vehicle. People would say as a joke, it's got everything but the kitchen sink, and I'd say it's got the kitchen sink too. It's got a 250-horsepower GMVA car engine, 6 BF Goodrich radials, an ocean navigation system, and dual steering, one for land, one for water. With no specific course to follow, on December 19, 1993, the Daubertons bid a cheering crowd goodbye, embarking on the first leg of their trip, a drive from Syracuse, New York, to Miami, where the orbiter would be launched into the Atlantic. And there were about 5,000 people there, and I think 4,000 of them were there to watch it sink. The faithful craft didn't sink, but within days, Rick and Karen did hit rough waters, outside and in. Salt water boils on your body and your sunburn beyond recognition and I was sick all the time. How romantic. And stuck inside the cramped and now overheated capsule. The next one's going to be bigger. The lovebirds on their fantasy getaway suddenly looking to get away from each other. What would you argue over? When something broke he took it real personally. There were internal fuel spills, radio malfunctions, and while they set a record as the first car to drive through the Panama Canal, Rick and Karen did run into trouble. In uh, Puerto Rico, we were stopped by the DEA, the FBI, the Coast Guard. They thought we were Colombian drug smugglers. In the frontier of Colombia, we were stopped by guerrillas who came out of the woods and flagged us down with their AK-47s. And I thought, here we go. The gorillas let the couple go, but not without first posing for this photo. Their one-year trip turned into three and a half years of grueling togetherness. So, folks, I'm in the middle of watching this thing, and it's unbelievable. Everybody's got to watch it. And they just said the sentence. So uh, things don't end well, I think, for this couple. And they say their one-year planned trip ended in three and a half years of grueling togetherness, <laughs> which is what an insane and terrible <laughs> sentence. Holy crap. I got to get back to this. I'll be back in just a little bit. <laughs> By June of 1996, Rick and Karen were out of patience and out of money, leaving them no choice but to come home. The orbiter was in pretty good shape, but the same couldn't be said for their marriage. Shortly after they got back, Karen filed for divorce. Nothing panned out quite as we would have hoped. But what about the orbiter? Who would get it? Who would even want it? Would you do this trip again? I would do it again in a moment. With Rick? Definitely not with Rick. But that's not even an option, since Karen can't afford to buy Rick's share. Now this couple's one-ton, one-time love nest is on the auction block. Asking price, 200000 bucks. Oh, folks. <laughs> What's amazing? What a, what a journey. It's amazing that that car seems to work. It's, I mean, it makes sense that it would. That they uh, it, Really? Did you see it going through the Panama Canal? With yeah. With spinning in the water? <laughs> it got through? It did. But, oh, man. The dude, like, I can't imagine what any of that must be like. First of all, he sunk their life savings. Yeah, like, next time you want to try and save a marriage that's definitely doomed, don't build a boat. Just have a kid. 
<laughs> this makes that look like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, oh gosh! At the end, they ask her, they ask the, his wife. They say, "Would you ever do like a trip like this again in the future?" And this she says, me. "Yeah." She just says, "Absolutely," yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. And she asks, "With Rick? Definitely not with Rick." <laughs> oh, that's the most. Because I feel like they were already divorced when this piece happened. Yes. And he's watching it at home, and he gets to that, and that is like, oh man, that I, the also, most brutal thing for your ex-wife on national television. To be like, oh, like, it wasn't the trip that was the, the the insane nightmare trip was not the right, problem. It right. was all just Rick. It was Rick. Oh, I sleeping like in a it, bed the size of uh, an egg crate or whatever. Insane. No problem. I felt like Rick was interviewed before the trip. This is at least how it how everything yes. felt. Because he was true. just like, he was just like, it's great. Yeah. Goes everywhere you need it to go. Really yeah. excited about it. Feeling good about this. We're going to make our dreams come true. And then she's speaking from after the fact. And yeah. She's just like, yeah, it was a bad idea. I have a new life going. now. Everything's much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great find. Uh, people in their dreams. Oh, gosh. So if it ever goes on sale again. <laughs> yeah. Start saving up. I'll kickstart that. <laughs> <laughs> All crowdsource. Oh, uh, and there is a very old. His website is amazing. Yeah, is that them? Uh oh, are they worse for the wear? Are they back together? Oh no, it's a joke. They just put their heads on. Oh, Russ, I wish you could see this. <laughs> we'll tweet all this out because yeah. Oh wow! Above Rick and Mary are pictured with Henry Winkler and Cindy Williams at the debut of the Hydro Car at the Syracuse Nationals in 2008. Oh, how nice. 2008. That's recent. Yeah. So Rick and Mary now just do professional, obscure professional appearances together. They're probably just like, hey, remember this time we did this weird thing together? Yeah. Hey, honey, want to make a quick uh, 800 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. We got rid of our life savings to make this happen. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. They have to do these probably. They have to. This is their life now. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the news that's fit to print this week. Great work. Holy cow. So, John, why don't we talk about Mad About You now? Uh, yeah, I could be into that. Okay, cool. So, still deconstructive right? criticism. Still recording. Deconstructive criticism. And only deconstructive criticism. The cold open happens, and we've got Paul My and Jamie. My goodness, Russ. The week you remember to talk about who directed and wrote the episode will be the same week that a little place called Hell Freezes over. Unbelievable. I don't care. I don't care about... <laughs> I about the behind the time. scenes people? No way. Uh, no way. Doesn't care a lick. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know if everyone's out on vacation or what's going on. But yeah, we got a bunch of noobs, don't we? No. Why? What are you no, say? we have. What uh, my point was, we have the same guys we've had for the last three weeks. Oh, do we? It's weird. Yeah, this is another transcendental meditation episode. I a, a David Lynch. Was, I knew it was a David Lynch. With a true Tom detective. <laughs> Not the Yellow King, the Farce King. The Farce King. Farce King of L.A. Tom Moore. Well, True Detective episode directed by David Lynch. (laughs) (laughs) True Detective season one. Yes, his name is Tom Moore. True Detective season one on this week's Mad About You. (laughs) And it was written again by uh, Andy Gordon and Eileen Kahn. That's We had last week and the week before. Normally you don't get a a tear like this of of the same team. That's true. That's true. And what's interesting is all the episodes are kind of different, I feel like. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, we had Ira and Cindy Lauper. 
Yeah, we went to Atlantic City for one. And that was Uh like a very touching, real episode. Yep. This one's sort of in the middle. They've yep. also written some very zany ones, like So I Married yeah. a Hair Murderer. Like, right. Last really running week, the Jamie, gamut. Yeah, Jamie decides to go back to school last week. So yeah, lots of stuff. I guess they're talented at what they do. Yeah, yeah. They must be really good. <laughs> I like it. So cold open. Oh, now it's time? Yeah, I mean, you can use a tone, but yes, no, now <laughs> is the correct time. <laughs> yes, now it is time. <laughs> now it is time. <laughs> Before, uh, it was not time. <laughs> So Paul and Jamie are in the bathroom and Paul is having a crisis because someone said that he looks like Charles Lawton. Yeah. Do you know who that is? I looked him up. He played Henry VIII. He played the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. What else did he play? I don't know. The things I know about him are worth mentioning, but can't go into too much detail because this is a family podcast. (laughs) Ooh, my. All right. <laughs> oh, he was in Spartacus too. Yes, I did see that. Mutiny on hey, the he Bounty. Also, He's famous yeah, for that one. Right. Yep. Witness to the prosecution. Yep. He I Claudius. Mm-hmm. Les Mis. Yep. He played uh, Javert in 1935. Oh, did he? Wow. He's an old, he looks, fat English actor. Basically. Yeah, he looks. He looks nothing like Paul Reiser. No, but Jamie insists that whoever said this was talking about someone else. Sure. By the way, I have to say out loud that uh, I've only ever said Notre Dame or, or Notre Dame uh-huh. or Notre Dame. And I just said the hunchback of Notre Dame and it is messing with my head. <laughs> I had to voice it out loud in order to stop the nagging in my no, own mind. It's messing with all of our heads. <laughs> I hope that everybody can rest now. No, everyone's rewinding now. <laughs> So, yes, he looks like Charles Lawton, which he does not. We have to talk about Jamie's nightgown. Okay. Because Jamie is wearing a nightgown that is composed of three plaids. Her front is one print of plaid with one color fabric. Okay. Her back is another style of plaid. Okay. And both sleeves are a smaller plaid. This is not uncommon, Russ. It is crazy, John. It's not. It's like a fake patchwork kind of pattern, it I sounds think, like. Oh. I, I, where it's like pseudo scraps. Don't you do this to me. That's the aesthetic. Don't pseudo scraps. Don't you? Don't pseudo scraps. Yes, I aesthetic. love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that stands for. Pseudo scraps. I love you. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? That was good enough for me to drop the argument altogether. Fair enough, you're right. Uh, <laughs> you want to know what I know about Charles Lawton? What's that? Are you familiar with a man named Scotty Bowers? No. I know some of you listeners out there have probably heard of him. Uh-oh. He is sort of the sexual zealot of old okay. Hollywood. Okay. And he wrote a memoir called Full Service Great. in his 90s. Okay. Because he supposedly held on to all of his secrets until everyone was sort of dead. And he was like, mm-hmm. at this point, I got nothing to lose and someone should know these stories. Sure. And of course, he's the only one who could really corroborate a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also so specific that it's hard to imagine that he just made it all up. Okay. And apparently there's a documentary about him at the that was just at the Toronto Film Festival. So we're all, everyone's going to know. Well, everyone that really likes going to weird movies is going right. to know who he is soon enough. But apparently uh, he would visit Mr. Lawton at his home. 
Okay. And bring a couple gentlemen of the night, young gentlemen, over. Great. And I can't, I can't, I can't go much further than that. And then the ne- and then the next day would happen. Except to say, <laughs> uh, well, it's not a family podcast. We just don't curse, right? Sure. He would make a sandwich supposedly, and then the the memoir describes this in great weird detail. He would supposedly make a sandwich that contains an ingredient that came from uh, <laughs> their tush. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Lawton would. So, oh, uh, well, which which ingredient? <laughs> <laughs> Peanut butter. <laughs> so that's that's the rumor oh. about that's the old Hollywood rumor about Charles Lawton. Great, isn't that disgusting? Yeah. Did you? Ha- oh, yeah. That's is that something you knew, or is that something you found out about today? Well, okay, I've known it <laughs> for two years. <laughs> okay. John, I that's, to this a very specific, that's a very specific amount of time to just I'm not like just, oh, yeah, I've, I've known it. Well, because I but, listened to the book when I moved out here on my ah, little okay. L.A. hikes because, you know, gotcha. it's an L.A. memoir. Gotcha. That is jaw droppingly like shocking and sure. disturbing. I thought you were going to be like two years ago. I get this phone call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Charles Lawton has many levels to him. I mean, who knows if it's true, but it's also such a specific weird story. Yeah, that is something else. Ooh, anyway. Oh, my God. Oh, Jamie has him do the double chin test, which I think is funny. Yes. Because Charles yes. Lawton was a big fat guy and a lot of chins. Yeah. So Jamie has Paul stick his chin out and pull it back to his chest and yeah. out and back to his chest. And uh, she says, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I do. <laughs> what do you think? I, I certainly do, my friend. Yeah, I hate it. So the I think that that double chin test uh could be a four clapper for the season oh no i forget what that is oh johnny i know that's a term we coined a four clapper is a term that we coined uh, as far as it's a moment from a show that you could see going into the opening yes a four clapper named after the, the friends uh, moment clap. in friends yeah. yes oh so i could see the two of them Sticking their chins out and pulling it back yes. on a weekly basis. Definitely a four clapper. Yeah. A four clapper is essentially any any short snippet that says, we have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. There was one earlier in the season I didn't point out, but when they're dancing and Murray is dancing with them. Oh, yes. It's a big four clap. That's right. Big four clapper. Yeah, oh, sure. way to keep our lexicon uh, we're we're a building a part of itself, yeah, for sure. Oh, we are trying to get as insular as possible. A lot of these show. terms I forget. Yeah, I get it. I get you. So we go to the episode proper. We're in the living room, and Paul is watching a trumpet player with Murray. And Paul says to Murray, "Listen to those high notes." I'm telling you, which is funny. <laughs> that is funny. That is a very funny. Dogs can only hear high notes joke. <laughs> it's very. I don't. I didn't notice this when I was a kid. I guess, but I think we almost never see him watching anything on the TV during like normal hours. Right. Like the only time he watches like just normal TV is like late, late at night. I feel like otherwise mm-hmm. it's always something pertaining to his work. And to That's me, true. immediately I was like, oh, he's probably working on a jazz documentary. You know what? I didn't even put that together. But yeah. you're right. I thought that he was just watching a jazz guy. Nope. But no, it's part of the job. Yeah. Wow. Very good job. He saves trash TV for trash time. Trash hours, yeah. yeah. So Jamie comes in, she's cooking pasta, and uh, she has 
Paul tasted. He uh, tastes the pasta from out of her hand. He says, that's a good finger. Jamie says, how's the noodle? Paul says, noodle's good, too. <laughs> and Jamie tries it. She doesn't like it. She says, the pasta's flat. What's the point? It has no purpose. And um, then they go into the kitchen. And John, I'm willing to admit when I am wrong. And here we go. Does all spice really have every spice? Yes, it does. Everything except paprika. Really? How do I know? <laughs> Why'd you make so much? Because Lisa's coming over. I'm sorry? My sister's coming over for dinner. Hey. What? No, I just, I just thought it was going to be you and me tonight. Now you were fooled. I... Better? Yeah, what are you putting there? Everything. That's what I needed. It's much better. <laughs> you know what? Apparently, listen, I moved on from this stupid theory like months ago because I forgot it when Brett brought it up. I forgot it just now. It didn't even click in my head. I feel so validated that my mentioning it has gotten other people to pay attention because that's all you can ask for, I think, is, <laughs> is someone who's informed and trying to get someone the message to pay out. attention. Yes. And just... now that you are, that's all I could ask for. John. Yeah. It's the first clip of this podcast. Nothing important happened yet until they started talking about spices. Correct. It's a segment we like to call Spice World, and it's named after that Spice Girls movie. <laughs> Listen, if I can be a little particular here. Sure. I do think there is a... This is the other thing I'm sure many of you can sympathize, empathize with me. People, you put something out there, people don't understand exactly what you're getting at, and you have mm -hmm. to correct them a lot. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now. Am I not quite hitting the mark here? You're not, and I don't think you'll figure out why, so let me tell you. <laughs> 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 Same thing happened with Brett, I think. Okay. <laughs> I think. The difference here is that it's a very conscious, explicit reference to spices. Anyone could do that. My point is, there is someone with a subconscious obsession with spices that when a specific is arbitrarily needed, it tends to be a seed or spice. John, there's someone here with a subconscious obsession with spices, all right. <laughs> I am not projecting. <laughs> I don't cook. Oh, oh, oh. You see the difference, though? I'll say yes. <laughs> <sighs> you should. So, you should see the difference. Everyone should so, see the difference. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's less about using it for a joke and more about using it for a particular. That when it's not needed. It's not using it when it's not needed. Okay. It's a go-to. Some people have different go-tos. There's, there's some writer in the, the writer's room whose go-to is spices, I think, deep down. All right. Well, then, fine. I will stop being excited about this. No, 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 no. I'll narrow my scope to only bring it up when it's used in passing and not as an actual plot point or a conversation about spices. But when they just mention it just off the cuff, hey, here's a spice, then I'll bring it up to you. No, no, no. This is good, I think, because it creates discussion about the issue. And, <laughs> and I could be wrong. Apparently you can't because I've been telling you were, you were wrong since the beginning <laughs> until I finally told you you were right. And then I'm wrong. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is a big joke about spices. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yep. So <laughs> <laughs> what's he say? All spice makes everything good. It makes everything good. It's got everything in it except paprika. And Jamie says, really? And, she, and he says, I don't know. Right, 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 right. 
so yes, uh, she puts it in, tastes again. Paul says, it's really good. What'd you put in there? Jamie says, everything. He says, that's what it needed, everything. <laughs> so Lisa arrives. She is leaning on the buzzer. They go yeah, answer the door. she hasn't done this in a while. It's been a little while. I mean, she's happy, so yeah. says Jamie. Lisa walks in, yelling, the door goes I'm... Off. The door goes off. Lisa walks in, says, I'm famous. My shrink wrote a book. And Jamie takes it and looks at the title, and it's called Mannix. <laughs> and Paul says, they already did that. Mike Connors, big hit. This is my kind, that's my kind of joke right there. That's a good, that's a good Mannix versus Mannix joke. My other... Mannix of <laughs> Mannix, M-A-N-N-I-X, of course, being an old private eye show from way back when versus manix m-a-n-i-c-s yes. a psychological term yes everybody's laughing uh another great manix reference you know where i'm going with this on seinfeld no i don't oh it's one of my favorite moments on the show i thought you were gonna say it's one of my favorite manix references <laughs> it is also that yeah <laughs> it's also that <laughs> top two <laughs> Uh, what happens on Sunday? The episode where in the where the limo, where they're in the back of the limo with Nazis. Yes, okay. And uh, I don't know. Oh, they haven't picked the Nazis up yet. Uh huh. But they're headed like George and Jerry are like, wait, where's this limo taking us? And they find out that they're doing a speech for the area union right. or whatever. And uh, they're trying to figure out what to do. And George is like, maybe I'll just open the door, roll out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry's like, we're going fifty miles an hour. Who are you, Mannix? <laughs> <laughs> that's real funny <laughs> i've also never seen a manix me neither me neither but now i'll have to watch but... i'll have to watch all of them yeah <laughs> uh, so we learn a little bit about lisa's part in this book chapter 26 week for me chapter 26 edna on the road to nowhere who's edna me i'm edna well i can see why you'd be so proud <laughs> how do you know it's you Resentful of her mother's large breasts, Edna doused her brassiers in kerosene and ignited them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your mother's got large breasts? When she was younger. So what happened? They went away. We don't know. Nobody asks. Burned her mother's bras because she resented her large breasts. Mm-hmm. That's something, Lisa. Yeah, it's very interesting writing. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Like It's, not, it's uh, not trivial in any way. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> They're digging deep on her. her. Her reaction when they read it is so... She, like, clutches her chest and, like, is so proud or validated in a way. She's so good. Because she's like, Man, ah, Ramsey's I'm in the so book. Good. Like, she's so yeah. happy about it. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Paul starts to read from the book. Edna's earliest sexual fantasy can be traced back to her youthful preoccupation with Clay. I just really didn't need to know that. <laughs> yeah, I hated that. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's like a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people say, oh, I didn't need to know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like when people we- say, that's inappropriate. Maybe. I was going to say, it feels like, I feel like you and I both sometimes turn into our old acting professors, where it's just like, I really didn't need to know that. Oh, yeah? Well, then you shouldn't have read it, and you shouldn't have written it. Take it out of the script. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. No, me too. Wait, yeah. I think. we. Yeah. yeah. We're on the same page here. Meaning, get over it, right? And don't read it. Either that, or, just, yeah, or, or you know, hey, you don't Paul, need to make... It's not like the sentence is, as uh, this person, what's her name? was familiar with uh, Clay at a very young age, blah, 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 led to her upset first sexual experience. Like, you know what I mean? It didn't end with that as a zinger. Sure. It's like, Paul, you could bail out of that sentence at the very beginning. <laughs> you know where it's going. You know what it's about. Yes. 
That's true, too. It's all on you. It's <laughs> oh, man. There's a chapter called Henry Out on a Ledge, <laughs> which is very funny. <laughs> That's great. Lisa is thrilled to have a part in this book. Yeah. She has a road, some direction. She says, I've never had a road before. Yeah, well, and it's funny because it's, uh, I think it's a script. The book describes Lisa as being on a road to nowhere. <laughs> and Jamie's appalled. And Lisa's like, no, it's great. I've got a road. Because, I mean, wouldn't you say we're all on roads to nowhere in a way? I would say that. Yeah. yeah. Let's just. <laughs> cool, daddy-o. <laughs> yeah, this is a very scatty episode. For sure. So they uh, they decide they're going to celebrate. Oh, scat. And, uh, yeah. Scat. Charles Lawton. Yeah, we're getting back. On <laughs> many levels. Point. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that it was going to connect on that one, too, but Me now neither. it does. Yeah, this is, Thank a, you, John. this is a layered cake. This is a trifle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, they decided to go Lisa, to Riffs. They go to Riffs instead. Because Lisa because doesn't like the food that Lisa Jamie like slaved over. Yes, she spits her pasta back into the bowl. That, that was funny. Pretty oh, fun. Also, Paul gets a bottle of wine to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And I never noticed this. Did you see how many bottles of wine they have up there? No, I didn't. Is there a lot? A lot. Like over <laughs> a case probably up there. Oh, my. And these people don't drink ever. They must have gotten it from their wedding or something and just that sit there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yep. <laughs> well, we figured that out. <laughs> Check that box off. <laughs> we go to Riffs and... <laughs> Lisa is drab- <laughs> is dripping wax on her hand from the table candle. Yeah, she says, "I love I love hot wax." And Paul says, "It also makes a tasty beverage." Now, here's what yeah. I thought. What? Here's what I thought about that scene. Do you remember the movie Body of Evidence? Uh, is that Willem Dafoe? Yes, and Madonna. Yes, I do not. I remember. I think I've seen a couple scenes from it. It was. <laughs> I've never seen it, but it was a big thing. It came out in January of 93. Oh. And it was a big thing because it had it had scenes of, I think it was NC-17. Wait, January of 93. Rated... So bef- after this episode aired. Was it? Oh, sorry. I'm an idiot. This no. is. Yeah. yeah. No. Right. Yeah, we're going yeah. into no, we're 94. Okay. Wow. Going into 94. Yeah. Next Time thing you know, it's going to be the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's the famous hot wax scene in body of evidence oh i didn't know that uh, yes yes and it's a filthy movie that makes nine and a half weeks look like nine months yeah! <laughs> that happened seamlessly <laughs> you genius so yeah really fun and um <laughs> oh gosh so you think this was a nod to that i think it may at least have been in the mindset is there a beverage reference no, there is not. So then this is just Paul making the worst joke that's ever been made on the show? I think so, And yeah. the audience treating it as such by not mm-hmm. even trying to yes, laugh? by just, okay, yes, okay. It, why didn't they cut it? Beverage, fine. I don't know. It's a very I, uncomfortable they, moment. They need every now and again, I, there's a word for it. I don't know how it's pronounced. I believe, is it chuffa? I don't know what that word is. It's the conversation that happens in a TV show before the scene happens. Really? So like the little side, the little two lines or three lines that happen in, you know, before somebody comes over and says, hey, we got to talk about the plot of this episode. It's, it's called something. Chaffa? C-H-U-F-F-A. Oh, Chuffa. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I, well, I wasn't sure if it was Chuffa or Chuffa. Oh, Kevin Smith talks about it. Probably, yeah. Now, the talks about everything. BS of a script or a movie when 
doing dailies. Bruce Willis coined the phrase. Bruce Willis coined the phrase and oh. used it when shooting films when he gets rid of unwanted dialogue or actions. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, and the then Bruce Willis Harris was looking Littles. at the script for scenes four and eight and goes, chuffa, chuffa, and starts ripping out page after page. Great. I'm shocked, and I ask, what's chuffa? And Bruce says, chuffa, chuffa. So I go, okay, I really don't know what chuffa is. What is it? But he <laughs> says, it's, oh, what a nice picture. What a cute dog. Where's the bomb? It's that BS that slows down the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is, boy, I had a whole word of the day prepped. Yeah. Because I thought that'd be a fun thing to start doing. And now you like come that. in with a whole other word. There you go. Now there's we two words of the day. Word. Two words of the day. They'll fight it out. Yeah. We'll see what's the, <laughs> which the real word of the day is. Yeah. The One late dictionary Harris, entry. Two words. The late, the late Harris Whittles was known as the Chuffa King around the set of uh, oh, Parks really? and recreation yeah oh that's so funny i didn't know that. lots of nonsense that he would uh this is a that, great that would term. start yeah yeah it's a good one Thanks and uh us. that's sure thing and that's what dripping hot wax is <laughs> yeah well i don't know if i agree with that yeah that little thing and then overcomes <laughs> but well, it's you funny gotta... too sure it is funny and it's a sitcom so it's like you don't need to move the story exactly you just right. need laughs sure yeah I wouldn't it's call disconnected that with the plot it's disconnected with the plot. Is it, though? Because to me, I feel like it speaks to... Uh, the character? The psychological aspect of this episode. Also, hot wax is a little similar to clay. Well, I'm glad you just learned a word, and now you're telling me what it is and what it isn't. <laughs> That's on brand. So- <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. I'm not just... Well, it- in the interest of editing the chuffa out of this episode well, of Mad I was About, just Mad say, about I'm not saying chuffa. <laughs> Let's move along to what happens when Ursula comes by. Here you go. Sorry, this, uh, this is what? Right, that's your check. Unless you want to get something else. You kind of thought we'd order dinner first. Oh, right. Okay. What can I get you? Menus. And some water? Menus and water. That'll be fine. This is a very funny bit. Yeah. She's getting zanier each episode, and I love it. She is. It's great. I love the way that Paul Reiser says menus. Yeah. (laughs) That is wonderful. Jamie is sitting there reading about Edna and Stella, and Jamie says, basically, she's like, you can't give this to mom would read. Mom would die. Paul says, how's anyone going to know it's about your family? Lisa says, I'm hiring a publicist. Yeah. This reminded me of, um, you know, Manhattan. Well, right? The movie? Yeah. Well-ish. Yeah. Yeah, this reminded me of the, uh, I wonder what other scenes are like this, because they're right up my alley. The scenes where someone that the protagonist knows writes a tell-all yes. about their like psychology, and then mm-hmm. everyone reads it together. It's like I'm, when Meryl I'm... Streep's character writes a book about Woody Allen's character in Manhattan, and they're all out for the day, and they're reading it. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. I can't, like, I can't, I literally can't think of any other times, but I know that this, that the it's concept like a New of- York thing. Yes, that this whole episode happens, it, it happens a lot. This is almost a stock plot. Where the one who goes to, you know, yes. oh, they wrote a book about me, and it's also about you. That's and true. we're going to deal with that. Yeah, oh, you're right. You're right. This happens you know? all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Six Feet Under comes to mind. Oh, really? Who writes a book in that? Uh, uh, or is it Billy? No, Billy writes a book. That nut writes a book? I think, oh, no, wait, no. Um, Sisto? Well, Bill, Jeremy I, Sisto? I think he writes a book, or maybe... It happens before the show, I think. That's what it is. She's Charlotte. Um, Rachel Griffiths is, you know, had a book written about her when she was a kid. 
going really? to yes that's or rachel griffith's character yeah yeah that's Brenda. that's a big part of it for, yeah that's a big part of it for her no kidding i had no idea yeah, yeah. boy all those characters really went down some crazy paths huh? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, Six Feet Under, the show where they often said, we have fun here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not a lot of four clappers on that show. <laughs> <laughs> if you stitched together a bunch of four clappers, you wouldn't know if they were photographs or movie clips. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, Ursula comes by to check again, and she asks, do you need more time? And Paul says, yes, and menus and water. <laughs> yeah. But she hasn't done anything right. yet. And then Paul reads a little bit of uh, Lisa's book aloud. During Edna's adolescence, it was Stella that suffocated her ability to relate to others and tethered her. She was tethered to a lifetime of insecurity and neurosis. You're 33 years old. Give it up. Oh, this is interesting. And once Edna's sister got married, Edna's screwy life became a humongous burden on her very attractive brother-in-law. Which I made up. I made it up. He does have a way about him. He does. He's got a way about him. I would say that's why we're doing this podcast. You're not wrong. It's because he does definitely have a way about him. He's got a way about him. I like the whole bit about him saying he's very attractive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I made up. Very silly. Yeah, Paul's got a way about him, and that leads to us going on and on and on. He loves feedback. He's very vain. Yeah, he must read all reviews, but I guess his work doesn't get reviewed that often because it's so obscure. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, documentaries, I can't remember getting too much. Well, I can't remember kidding? getting too much action, but of course they did. And I was just a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So Jamie instructs Paul and Lisa to not blame mom. And uh, Lisa's got some news. I want you to stop blaming mom for your life. Don't blame mom. Well, the book does. No, the book blames Stella. Well, who is Stella? You are. I'm Stella? Yeah. Uh-oh, Jamie Stella. <sighs> yes, she is. It happens. It happens. Paul is Raul. Paul is Raul. Gosh, that's funny. And he's so <laughs> delighted when he cracks. He's like, oh, yeah, I see. You just take Paul. You add a uh, leg to the R. <laughs> or the P. Add a leg to the P. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Paul has been named Raul for the book. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very funny. Very clever, says Paul. He's really into this book. Yeah, right. Very clever. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, Paul's flipping through. Stella and Raul lived as though the world revolved around them. Hey, I'm in here a lot, he says. <laughs> Paul eventually takes the hint because it is clear that Jamie is not taking to this well. Yeah. And he excuses himself to go get some menus. And uh, Jamie and Lisa start getting heated. Mm-hmm. Things get very real very quickly. Yes, they do. Jamie says, you know, you didn't have any friends. I let you hang around my friends. And Lisa says, did it ever occur to you that I may not need your help? Jamie says, yeah, right. And that for a moment, it was very funny because I was like, that for a moment made me think, does Lisa need Jamie's help? Yeah, you were Paul, basically. Kind of. In a way. In, in well, most episodes, Paul, maybe. except you, this one. You were any guy or girl who, like, is an outsider to the situation, mm -hmm. you know? And you like give the person the benefit of the doubt. You give yes. the wrong person the benefit of the doubt. You're like, oh, well, you're just being judgmental. She's fine. Sure. And then a week and, later, um, you're like, she was right. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is what my life is, John. You are absolutely <laughs> right. It is one cycle of that after another. Where yeah, it's just um, I thought, does she need her help? And then immediately, I just thought, yes, absolutely. She absolutely yeah. needs their help. She is a mess from top to bottom. Yeah. 
And, she can't uh, even get home in this scene without their yeah, help. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Jamie explodes at Lisa here. You know what, Lisa? I'm so overbearing. Maybe you're right. Maybe you'd be better off without me. I'll grow up. You know, I'll get some water. Uh, no, Lisa. You grow up. Let somebody else do your laundry. Have somebody else get their heart broken trying to fix you up. Eat dinner with somebody else every other night. Fine, I'll hop in a cab right now, and I will go home. Fine, fine. Oh, you are pathetic. And don't think you're doing me a favor because you're the one who scared me out of taking subways. Yeah. She wants her to grow up and then she needs cab fare. Yeah. That's how it went for me where I was just thinking to myself, maybe she doesn't need Jamie's help. And one and a half lines later, it was like she literally needs her help right away. Yep. In fact, the second she walked away, yeah, I knew she was coming back for cab fare. <laughs> That's funny. Jamie says to Paul, who returns to the table, she says, I'm never speaking to my sister again. Paul says, yay. Yeah, which is very funny. And then he says, can we get a check, please? After getting a look from Jamie. Which Uh, I also loved because Ursula starts the scene by bringing them their check. Yeah. So in a sense, she was right. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I was going to say she they haven't done anything to warrant a check yeah. yet. But yeah, she she literally She's a fortune teller. Uh, yeah, she anticipated their needs. Yes. They should give her a $100 tip. Yes. <laughs> on their $0 bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh we come back from commercial and we are in their bedroom. Paul is at the piano, which also I think ties in subconsciously or consciously with the fact that he's working on a jazz documentary. Could be. He's in a very musical place. Yeah, for sure. We've never seen him use it before. Right. Yeah, I believe it. We've only seen him try to move it once. Oh, we didn't even see that. Masha moved it. We didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And Murray's on the bed with Jamie and Jamie's talking to her mom on the phone. Jamie is telling her mom, let Lisa be the sane one. And Paul says, oh, I don't think that's something that'll happen. Jamie responds back to her mom. Yeah, because she's an idiot. Paul says, see, I say that you get mad. (laughs) Yeah, they have a nice little back and forth with Paul kind of chiming in from the from the background. Right. About his opinion on the matter until finally Jamie wants to just get off the phone and needs Paul to help her get off the phone. So Paul gets up. And starts yelling from off in the distance. Oh, I need you, Jamie. At which point, Jamie seems to indicate that she needs more help and he needs to be bigger. So he says, oh, I broke the big thing. (laughs) He's bad at this. He is very bad at this. She hangs up the phone with her mom and yeah, turns and says, the big thing? I panic. (laughs) Jamie's talking about the conversation she had with her mom. And her mom called her puerile. Yes, this was going to be, I think we should have a mad about you, mad about, mad about you, word of the week. Oh, I like it. Mame wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mame wow. Yes. Well, with a, with, a, with a title that good, we have to do this but now. But the problem is now we got Chuff and Puerile. Chuffa and Puerile, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even do it right. Chuffa. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Chuffa and Puerile. So we can have two wa- Mame word, Wows. Mame Wows, yeah. <laughs> Do you know you know the word Puerile? I knew it in context. Jen knew it. I'm and... sure Jen knew it. She knows everything. Yes. 
She knows an awful lot. I'm sure my girlfriend knew it too. Mm-hmm. Or would have if we watched it together. And uh, you know, we eventually got there by the end of the by the end of the scene. We learned that it means childish. So yeah, it's rise, one of those guys, words that yeah. you should not like. When you hear it, you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot that I don't know exactly what that word means. Yeah. I again, I'd know it. You know, if I read a sentence, I'd be able to be like, oh, childish. Sure, yeah, but what if yes, someone asked you to define it? I wouldn't be able to do that. Exactly. Did you know uh, how to spell it? Uh, no. The word I is forgot. puerile. Yes. Is that a little spelling bee? Yeah. <laughs> no Googling, everybody. Yeah. Puerile. <laughs> Ding. It's P-U-E. Yes. Isn't that interesting? P-U-E-R-I-L-E. Also, I discovered, has anyone used the Google Dictionary? Uh, yeah, I believe I have. It's very you... cool. This is totally yeah. unrelated to the podcast, but have you seen the use over time graph they do? No. If you expand the thing, uh-huh. we'll tweet this out as part of the Mame Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there's no easy way to say it uh um there's a graph from 1800 to 2010 of how frequently the word's been mentioned and i guess media and whatever they've scanned wow. over the, isn't that amazing yeah uh and it was a uh, it was at its peak in 1800 and it's just been on a rapid a, well not a slow a medium decline to virtually absent in 2010. Yeah. Wow. Mame, wow. Mame, wow. <laughs> anyway, pure. Whereas Shuffa, I'm sure, back in the 1800s, almost never used. <laughs> Whereas now. Now. Well, yeah, it peaked in the sometimes uh, late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, probably. <laughs> I would love that conversation to happen in the 1800s. I just, What's Shuffa? Oh, it's the nonsense talk at the beginning of a scene, you know, like in television. What are you talking about? Um, all right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> she says she called me puerile. And Paul says, your sister's not been around for a while. You know, no one's calling at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, no one's calling at 3 in the morning to pick us up in Trenton, to pick her up in Trenton. No one's licking all the salt off our crackers and putting them back. Yeah. I really great. like those tidbits about the way Lisa behaves. Um, and Jamie goes to call Lisa. And then stops and says, let her call me. The phone rings once at that point, And then it stops ringing. Jamie says, oh, she would ring once and hang up. Uh, she's the one that's puerile. And then Paul gives a look and Jamie says, childish. Paul says, that's what I thought. Yeah. Also, it's like immediately when they use that, it was like, no, Lisa's definitely the puerile one, mom. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have some scope, mom. Yeah. Mouth so, yeah, yeah. Gargle a little bit. <laughs> I decided to take this opportunity to tell you your breath stinks, Yeah, this segment's brought to you by Scope. (laughs) So we cut to Buckman Studios after commercial, and Paul is watching a new documentary with the King of Scat. Yes. Or now, I guess, second in command to the King of Scat. Played by Robert Donnelly? Yeah, that sounds right. Do you know who that is? I do not, but he looks familiar. He's from the movie Cocktail. Oh. He played Eddie. I don't remember Eddie. You know who else is in Cocktail? Tom Cruise. You know who else? Paul Newman. She's come up today. Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. Oh, my gosh. Wow, there have been a lot of connections. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, oh, guess who else this guy is? Who? He's one of the old men from uh, Seinfeld in the the episode The Old Man. Oh, cool. He's probably George's old man. That seems right. One who's like, life's too short to waste on you. <laughs> wow, look at that. Anyway, I love it. So Paul wants to know, he's there with uh with Warren Murmelman. Paul wants to know, can you just declare yourself king? And uh Warren says, "Yes." Paul <laughs> says, "What if there's another guy who declares himself the king?" 
Stephen Wright says, then they joust. joust. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I can't call him Warren. He's just Stephen Wright. (laughs) So the bit comes along, and the king of scat cannot be understood. What if there's another guy, he says he's the king? Then they joust. (laughs) Why did scat from my Uncle Cecil? He was all primed to disease after the old bone. His Uncle Cecil was a primity and a dweezel bone? (laughs) Unless this guy's lying. This whole thing kills me. It's I love so anyone speaking nonsense. It's so funny. <laughs> His and... uncle Cecil was a proudy and a weasel bum. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, we would send away for our elbows. <laughs> I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. That's so it's funny. So fu- yeah, at, and at first, I like. I couldn't understand it, and I was like, oh, it's just me. I got to listen harder. It's too loud in here. And then I was like, ah, he's the king of scat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a a bit. So, yeah, Stephen Wright is the only one who knows that he's saying only the club in Houston would pay them cash. (laughs) Which is such a funny sentence. It's really funny. (laughs) It's really funny. Uh, So Lisa shows up. Also, how else did you pay people back then? Check? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ask and answer. There you what go. What other forms of money are there? <laughs> oh, you'd Venmo. <laughs> so Lisa comes to work and uh, we learn that Warren has read the book. <laughs> he says, I read it out loud. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I a, get that one. I just think it's a weird, funny thing to say about a book that you would. Why would he? Why would he do that? Yeah, I think it's a weird thing. I don't know. It's a funny thing. All right. I, well, I laughed, so. I didn't. Well, there you go. I wanted to. Okay. And I so probably least... will next time I watch it. Yeah. That's the cycle. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm totally with you. So Lisa watches the clip and says, so that's true. All clubs in Houston did pay cash. Oh, that kills me. So fun. In the line, I think, was the guy goes, it was Zingaway's Vaux Chateau. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds Creole, oh, like Cajun almost. It kind of does. Yeah. It kind of does, yeah. Lisa starts to ask Paul about Jamie very indirectly. And Paul just says, call her. Lisa says, why should I? And Paul just says, because you should. He is trying to get these two crazy kids together. Mm-hmm. To put away their dumbness and touch base again. So Lisa says, I'm not a screw up just because I don't have a job or a boyfriend or a pen. <laughs> I could have a pen if I wanted to. And Paul says, I've always said that about you. (laughs) Yeah, Lisa's just kind of turning to Paul for all of the things that she used to get out of Jamie. Right. She she had a new new ally. Yeah. And Paul says to her, you shouldn't be talking to me. You should be talking to her. Talk to her. And Lisa says, can I talk to you for a while? And Paul softens a little bit and basically says, sure, what's new? And Lisa said, I started my period 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Very good button. So then we go back to riffs. And let me tell you what happened when we went back to riffs at this point in my life. John. Uh-huh. So the first scene at riffs took place in the evening. This scene at riffs took place during the day. And the signs in my memory looked very different from each other. And I was like, oh, man, oh, man, these guys made a big continuity mistake. They've got different signs. I was like, let me check and let me prove it. So at this point, I rewound to the first scene. I took a picture of the sign with my phone. (laughs) Then I fast forwarded to this scene. I took a picture of the sign with my phone and I looked at them one after the other. And guess what I found out, John? They're the same. They're the same sign. (laughs) (laughs) There's no change. (laughs) Very funny. 
John, did you know that I'm going to live forever? And so time is not. Yeah, time is infinite. And I can spend as many moments as I like rewinding and fast forwarding and taking pictures of signs from sitcoms from 25 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What am I? What are we doing, John? What am I doing? Yeah. Don't drag me into this. Oh my gosh, the pinball machine's back, and this time it is turned on and functioning. Wait, oh right. Yeah, that's that right. That first season. It was fake with Ira playing. Yeah. Also, yeah, they Ira, moved it. They did move it. It's on it, a different it, side. It used to be by the bar, now it's by the mm-hmm. wall. Yes, now it's by where the, is it by where the salad bar would have been? Yeah, the buffet. Yeah. The buffet. Oh my gosh. I took a photo of the pinball machine. <laughs> <laughs> you did not. You're a good friend, though. <laughs> no sweepstakes. Any of you pinheads out there, we're going to tweet the photo. If anyone can identify which pinball game this is. Ooh, that's a great question. That would be pretty exciting. I feel like it's doable because the iconography on the side is very visible. I thought you were going to say sweepstakes. Help Russ. <laughs> no, that's, we don't have enough. We don't have a big enough cash prize. We don't have 240 characters isn't even enough. Uh, 140. Well, they doubled it up, didn't they? Didn't did they, they double it up recently? I think they recently did. Did they double it or just add 100? You know, I'm honestly not positive. Fascinating. Sweepstakes. What's the new character limit on <laughs> yeah. Twitter? Russ just thinks sweepstakes is Siri. <laughs> sweepstakes. How do I get to the doc? My doctor. <laughs> sweepstakes. Remind me to buy cereal. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, man. So here's where I'd start to side with Ursula again. Same. Yeah. I wrote that. Because, yeah, Ursula walks by and Fran says, two coffees. And Ursula says, wait, where? Yeah, she's like, for where? Yeah, for where? And Fran says, for here. Like, two coffees and two waters or whatever she says. Yeah. But we're supposed to think. You're at a pinball machine. You're at a pinball machine. She was walking past you. Yeah. You're not at a table. Go to oh, the bar. Rude. Rude, I agree. Fran. So score one for Ursula. This is that uptown snooty mentality, though. It really is. <laughs> you know. It really is. Keep it in the Upper West Side. <laughs> so uh, Fran has no heat in her building, and uh, Jamie wants to call her super. And they have a fun little exchange. Yes. Call the Tenants Association. You want me to call? James, I am not Lisa. I know. Now... <clears throat> I can take care of myself. I know. Now, oh, you don't have to fix my life. I know, I know, I know. Fran, you know what? You're going to blow it. Let me just finish this up. I like Jamie taking over the pinball machine an awful lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, they, very illustrative. Illust- yes. Oh, boy, that's a tough word. Illustrative. That can't be right. I think it is. Very illustrative. <laughs> <laughs> sound like an idiot. Uh, well, well, when you don't believe it, you certainly do. Yeah, you gotta that's own true. the word. That's true. So, yeah, it's a quick little scene, but a fun one. We see that Jamie, yeah, Jamie's kind of going through it. She's got a void to fill in her life. Yeah. And then we cut to the bedroom where Paul is in the bathroom and he's talking to Lisa in the middle of the night. They have written a lot of episodes where Jamie has a void to fill. Yeah. This team yeah, likes that... to take things away from Jamie. <laughs> Yeah, they kind of do, don't yeah. they? That's interesting. Yeah, we'll have to track that. <laughs> so, yeah, Paul asks, or Paul talks to Lisa a bit, 
And then Jamie asks a question and Paul says, she just wants to know who I'm talking to. Jamie says, who do you think, who does she think you're talking to? Oh my God. It's very funny. (laughs) That frustration is very funny. It's three o'clock in the morning. Who are you talking to? (laughs) Paul tells Jamie all about Lisa's problems with Harriet. Jamie wants to know which one. Paul says the bulimic one. They're both bulimic. Paul says, Paul says, what are the odds of that? And then he says something really funny. He says, they went to some new club. Sounded pretty cool. They had snakes and she thinks she saw Ethel Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, this (laughs) is the seed. Great. This is the seed of Bill Hader and John Mulaney Stefan bit on SNL. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll tell you what this else. This is where um, they stole it from. When you just said seeds, I thought you were going to start talking about <laughs> spices and nuts and seeds again. <laughs> so you've ruined a lot of words for me. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> now you're getting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, that's exactly the bit. Yeah, basically. Where it's two the pythons pond. named blah blah blah, and Ethel Kennedy serves Ethel syrup Kennedy. out of a. You know, <laughs> two bulimics named. <laughs> yeah, Harriet. right. Two bulimics named Harriet. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm right. I mean, this club has everything. This Paul is a Reiser, Paul Reiser, Bests, Plaids, a Border Collie, Paul Dooley, Seeds. <laughs> okay, enough with the seeds. <laughs> there are a lot. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie warns Paul there's always pieces to clean up with. Lisa. Yes. Paul is like you, Russ. Yes. That's what I meant. I knew there was something in no, there that I made me. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, so we're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. And, Lisa's uh, fine. You just have to fine. like be, you know, you have to be a little yep. more understanding, Jamie. Yep. There's always pieces. And Paul says, call her. Jamie says, I'm not going to call her. She doesn't need me. She has you and two Harriets. <laughs> so we cut back to Buckman Studios the next day. Paul is wearing another vest. And oh, it's so we, sunny, too. It's very sunny. It really made me, like, feel it. Yeah. I really wanted of, to be there. A lot of natural light yeah. in the studios. What's well, a great office, man? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the rent is? How can we get a spot like that? <laughs> so Lisa's there on the phone with Harriet, sitting right between Paul and Stephen Wright. And Paul is starting to get a little bit fed up with Lisa's presence there. Yeah. Because he's got work to do. He asks Stephen Wright, did you call the lab yet? Stephen Wright says, on what? My shoe? <laughs> oh, a there's, great... a, there's an exhibit that I'm going to miss out here, I think. Oh, yeah? Of spy props from the 60s and 70s. And the original oh, Get that Smart Shoe Phone is going to be there. Oh, man. Anyway. That sounds super fun. So here's another great thing for our little show. Okay. I don't know where this is going. Er- earlier in the... In the show, Paul was drinking tea. Jen and I were trying to determine what it said. We thought it said Binghamton because Paul went to SUNY Binghamton. Oh, that's right. It, Paul Reiser. Slowed it, yeah, Paul Reiser. We slowed it down and tried to see what it was. Wait, you're talking about the cup, the mug at the, Buckman the Studios? Mug, the mug at Buckman Studios. Yes, I noticed Lisa, that too. When Lisa comes earlier, okay. he makes himself a cup of tea with a mug. Looks like it says Binghamton or something like that. And in this and scene, there's later, a mug sitting on the on the table. Yes, the it's in the fo- next to the moviola. Yes, it's in the foreground next to the moviola. <laughs> you made me say it. Do you know what that mug is? No, it took me a little while. It doesn't say Binghamton. It says Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey, because Paul Buckman Likes loves the circus. The circus. 
So all those weeks and months ago when I said, if we learn that Paul loves the circus, I'll eat my words. But right now, this is just some one-off stupid thing. Paul Buckman loves the circus, John. Wow. Great catch. Huge. Huge, baby. Oh, very big circus mug. (laughs) That's amazing. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Every now and again, this dumb stuff pays off. Yeah. Oh, man. So Lisa is sitting there and she says, blah, blah, blah. Don't you guys talk about anything but movies? And Paul starts to lose his patience a little bit and uh, then has to back off and says, you know, you're having a tough week, too. Anything you need, I'll do. And Lisa says, thank you. Will you go to the dentist with me? Yeah, that's where I had the idea. (laughs) The (laughs) idea. It is. It's not much of an idea, but <laughs> I'm on board. I like it. Paul, Paul and Lisa go to the dentist. Well, no, it's mm-hmm. not even that. Paul takes Lisa to the dentist. Yeah, that's a great Perfect. TV guide Perfect description. Yeah. Ooh, I'm in. I'm hooked, baby. Exactly. So we go back to the apartment, and uh, Jamie is looking through her yearbooks, and there's a funny sentence in it. I just want you to know something. Yes. You see this? Four yearbooks from high school, four yearbooks from college, three yearbooks from camp. There are over 200 signatures here, and not one of them said I was overbearing. None of these yearbooks does anyone say I'm overbearing. (laughs) What a great yearbook sentiment that would be to, to leave to someone. Have a great summer. You're overbearing. You're overbearing. <laughs> I know in college your meticulous attention to details and ability to stick your nose where it doesn't belong will serve you well. <laughs> but here, <laughs> it's just have a great summer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Paul has taken her to the dentist where she says the laughing gas has made her depressed, which that's an amazing sentence that I don't yeah. think got a big enough laugh. I agree. I think it's great. It's real fun. And Paul is at the end of his rope with this stuff where he just wants them to make up again. He says, our world is wacky. We've got a wacky world right now. He, 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 a slight difference. Please. He says, right now, our world is a little out of whack. Yes. It's a wacky world. It's a wacky world. Which I love, especially in print. Yeah, for sure. You can see the, the, the whacks. Whack a lot of W's. Versus wacky. Yeah. You know, for sure. They're spelled differently, but essentially you're cousins in this sentence. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why I'm talking about this. So. No, I'm with you. Oh, and then he Great. drinks out of Tropicana juice out of the carton. He does not. He drinks out of some confusing non-Tropicana juice. Yeah, I took a photo uh, of it. It looks like Thai. <laughs> but when you zoom in, it's like, oh, yeah, they did like the TR. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just scribbled over the word Tropicana. Oh, that might be what they did. That's 100% like what with they did. with a Sharpie? Yeah. Yeah. That's looks, absolutely what they did. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's always the best when they do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> the other one, he had a Sprite at his desk, too, next to the Moviola. Yep. But it was P-R-I-T. Yes. It was He's like from a Sprite. Yeah. Yeah. With a uh, lemon over it, the eye. It was like Sprite. <laughs> absolutely. Or is that 7-Up? It doesn't matter. Anywho. Anywho. So while uh, we hear a little bit of that, including the yelling that happens at the end of that tidbit. That's our world. You know, right now our world's a little out of whack. It's a wacky world. Well, you're going to have to get used to it. Mm. I can listen. I can get used to anything, but I just, frankly, it hurts me to see you so unhappy. You are so full of crap. <laughs> Nevertheless. Oh, come on, Stella! I love it. Oh, uh, I'm not going to let a Stella reference go without... <laughs> yeah, no. Neither is he, apparently. 
Yeah. <laughs> that didn't so, hit too hard either. No, it did not. Well, it's the first time I ever saw the Streetcar Named Desire reference of yelling Stella. It was from the Seinfeld episode. Yes. And I did not know why that was a funny thing. Wait, uh, who doesn't? Kramer? No, Elaine does. Oh, in the pen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And I was like, that's a th- all right. I guess that's something. But yeah. So everybody gets introduced at a different random time to Stella. And this was theirs. Yeah. Everyone, uh, let us know when your first Stella, <laughs> your first comedic Stella reference was. I'm not even joking. That's interesting. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Let us know when you learned about Streetcar Named Desire. Marlon Brando yelling Stella, and especially if it happened in a sitcom. Right. Yes. And if this is your introduction to it, tell us that too. And you're welcome. And you're welcome. So the good news at the end of all of this is that Lisa is there, and she's out in the hallway, and her mouth is numb. And Paul starts to translate for her. And uh, Paul says that she says, Jamie, I'm sorry. Either that or her club in Harlem. or Houston. Say it again. Yeah. Sorry. Paul says, Jamie, I'm sorry. Either that or a club in Houston pays her cash. <laughs> uh, really, really fun. A club in Houston pays cash is so funny to me. Ties it up beautifully. And so then we get into it a little bit more, and we really kind of have a lovely moment. Half the time, my shrink's not even listening. Did you tell her that I was overbearing? Yeah. No. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I wouldn't have been performed about. But I didn't say there's anything wrong with it. So you like that I'm overbearing? Of course, that way I can be underbearing. Of course, that way I can be underbearing. Is that really what you just said? Mm-hmm. Well, then I am sorry. Maple. Screw you. Maple! What a positive realization of a crippling familial codependency between these two. What a sense. Yeah. <laughs> you just said, wow. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I wrote that one down. <laughs> uh, wait, can you read it again then? Because I didn't I even... said, what a positive realization of a crippling familial codependency. Wow. I thought of it a while ago. While they're just like, yeah, they're both totally on board with the fact that, oh, you're this kind of crazy. I'm this other kind of yeah. crazy. It fits together and works. Yeah. We're not helping each other. We're not making either ourselves better, but we love each other. So here we go with tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. Here we go with tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) That's my musical. That's the the musical number that wraps this episode up. Mostly dance, though, so it won't work on the podcast. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to work out. But come see Public Pool do it next Tuesday night. So Murray, (laughs) Murray gets the last word, basically, because... Lisa has drooled on her shirt, mm-hmm. and uh, Paul corrects Lisa, or Paul translates and says, uh, you drooled on your shirt. Murray barks, and Paul says, her shirt. And uh. Murray barks again, says, her skirt. And then he says, Al hurt. And then he says, I don't know. And he holds his arms way out, which is a cheesy thing that he never does. And I realized that they did it because they ended this episode on a freeze frame, and they needed to have a big graphic physical image and so that's uh, why paul did that yeah so that we could like yeah i didn't like that end either it's a weird but end yeah for sure al hurts a jazz musician uh, that sounds right 
Yeah. I was not sure and I forgot to look it up. From New Orleans. Cool. Really on uh, point with the uh episode theme. Yeah, for sure. A nice a nice way to wrap things up. You might say the whole episode was played with the same notes. You might. You might say that. You might say that earlier in this episode, Paul Reiser was just tickling the ivories. Yeah. And that's all that that means is when he tickles the ivories, it means playing the piano, period, the end. No, that's idiotic. Because <laughs> there's so many hints in here. No, everyone was working on the same... Everyone was vibing on the same jazz theme. They're all tickling the ivory. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> oh, yeah, the first episode Paul plays the piano is happens to be the one with jazz in it. No, no, I think that that does tie in. I'm mostly just teasing you for uh, your disbelief that the idiom tickling the ivories only means playing piano, which happened a couple of weeks ago on it this did? very podcast. Yeah. What else did I think it meant? Anything. You thought <laughs> you thought that it could mean anything. That's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, I could mean brushing <laughs> your teeth. <laughs> oh, gosh. So then we get the tag, and the tag is Paul and Jamie in bed, and then Ursula shows up to bring them menus. I have totally softened on my stance on tags. I'm fully in favor of things being wacky uh, and crazy and zany. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. It's more fun that way. Yeah. Life's too short. Yes. I spend I spend too much time comparing signs to fictional restaurants to not revel in a waitress bringing menus into uh, somebody's bedroom. Agreed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think we all do. I think we all do. I think we all agree. Oh, rise, guys. Rise, gals. We've done it again. You've made it. And gosh, I hope that this is one that you can take pride in in sharing to at least one person. Oh, likewise. Yes, I forgot we asked them to do that. Yes. That would be amazing if you guys really did that. Please do. Share it. And yeah, thanks to you and thanks to them for listening. Let's get some new listeners. Why the heck not? (laughs) Making, Making new friends, keeping the old. You can tweet at me. I'm at Russ Fader, F-E-D-E-R. And I'm at Johnny Marbles, no H. No H. And you can tweet at the both of us at Mad About You Pod. You can also Facebook us at Mad About You Pod or Mad About Mad About You. And that's it for now, right? <laughs> I think that's it for now, for sure. Yeah, those are the only places you... to get in touch with us, but do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, you can also rate us and review us over at iTunes. Yes, and also on Stitcher, TuneIn FM, and that's it, right? <laughs> I think that's it. Let those us are the know. ones you, you say often. If there's another platform you'd like us on, and we'll be there. Yeah, if you have the uh, time, if you have time to write a quick thing, I'll tell you, it doesn't take long at all, and it's super easy and helpful. So there's enough of you out there that if you were to do that, it would make a difference. A huge difference. Change the, Let's and, all change the world together, huh? Yeah, in, in this time, please make, make bumping mad about you, <laughs> mad about mad about you's uh, visibility. In this higher, time, in this place initial, in history. Yeah. I think we need this more than ever before. More than ever. (laughs) Holy moly. Drop whatever you are going (laughs) to (laughs) do. Oh, gosh. If it means not voting next year (laughs) so that you can review us, (laughs) review us. Review us. Oh, man. Our theme music is this music, and it sounds like John D. Ivey wrote it. And thanks to him. Our logo is by Nathan Diffie. He is at Nathan, D-I-F-F-E-E. He is the best. So thanks to him. 
And uh, John, what else do we have in the thanking department? I just left a long pause in there, but you won't hear it because it was cut out. And I'm saying this too loudly, but you won't know it because it was leveled beautifully by our sound mixer, Vukjevanovic. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, gosh. John, fun times, yeah? Yeah. Great. Let's do it again, yeah? Uh, fine. <laughs> of course. Rise, guys. Rise, gals. Thank you again. This has been Mad About Mad About You. I am Russ Fader. I'm John Marbley. And, and this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.